Hey, Jen. Want to talk about obligation sex? Do I have to? Great. Today we're going to discuss 1 Corinthians 7 and whether my spouse is obligated to have sex with me. Let's do it. Welcome to the Intimate Covenant Podcast, where we believe the Bible and great married sex both belong on your kitchen table. That's right, we're talking about holy, covenant-bound, intimate relationships with hot sex. We're Matt and Jen, founders of Intimate Covenant. We offer biblical teaching and resources to help married couples achieve a fuller relationship and an extraordinary sex life. For more information, visit our website, intimatecovenant.com. Welcome, friends. Hello. Glad you could join us. Welcome. Thanks for joining us uh, in this uh, another episode of the Intimate Covenant Podcast. We're so glad you are here. Before we get into today's episode, we do want to make a couple of announcements. Um, this is like the school principal at the beginning of the, <laughs> of the school day making the uh, announcements for the morning. That or I was thinking about, you know, before worship service begins, we have announcements to make. Yes, <laughs> what it feels like. Um, <laughs> no, no sick to announce this time. But um, we do have two upcoming seminars that we want to announce and make you aware of. Yeah, we are about to have a busy month of March. Yes, indeed. First weekend in March, March 4th. And fifth, we are going to be in Louisville, Kentucky. I've been practicing how to say Louisville <laughs> because I really want to say it wrong, and everybody yells at you if you say it wrong. Hooked so on phonics I, worked for us. I yeah. won't say it wrong, but we get to go out to Kentucky. We will be in Louisville. Um, there are actually two separate events occurring there. In fact, there will be uh, a marriage seminar, of course, uh, on the 4th and 5th. But uh-huh. uh, on the evening of the 5th, we'll also be doing a session for singles. Yes. Discussing uh, singleness and sexuality. Uh, right. So if you're interested, uh, you can find some registration details for that marriage event at www.iclou.fun. And we'll put that in the show notes. That'll be in the show notes. Uh, if you're interested in it, well, hope, if, you're in, if you're listening, you should not be going to the singles event. Uh, but you you might know <laughs> some somebody. you might know some singles. Uh, if you uh, uh, want uh, information on signing someone up for that singles event, uh, let us know uh, by going to the show notes. That's right. Um, and then our second big event in March is going to happen the last weekend in March, and that is. We are headed to Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida. The Sunshine State will be there in March. Should be nice weather. Um, but save the date, March 26th. We will be in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, if you live in the Tampa area, I'll just tell you, it's going to be at a venue you are all familiar with. <laughs> That's but, right. But uh, registration deals are coming soon. Registration details, I should say, <laughs> are coming soon. Maybe there'll be a deal. Uh, but if you're in the area, we would love to meet you in Tampa or Louisville. Right. Or Louisville. We certainly, or if you just want to travel, you know? Uh, sure. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Kentucky or Florida, right? I mean, good good choice. Good choices. So come see us. Come spend the day or the weekend with us. We would love to meet you. And you know what else is getting ready to happen, Matt? Oh, I do. Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. And what 
big event happens on Valentine's Day. That is every year when the registration opens up for our annual marriage retreat. That's right. And amazingly, that is now only a few weeks oh, away. My word. I feel like I am just now recovering from last <laughs> retreat. <laughs> That's how it goes around here. Yes. But that uh, registration is getting ready to open on Valentine's yeah. Day. Save, save the date, September 22nd through the 24th this year. That's, That's right. a Thursday evening through a Saturday afternoon. That annual marriage retreat happens in Houston, Texas, right near the Woodlands. We would love to have you join us. Registration opens on Valentine's Day. Stay tuned for that. That's right. Um, the other thing we, we need to announce uh, is time is definitely running out to get the amazing opportunity of three free months of Covenant Club. That's right, because we expect our super cool club, (laughs) Covenant Club, to be launching in just a week or two. Our website developers have been working overtime to make this dream a reality, and it is going to be happening very, very soon. And once that happens... Once we launch... Our offer of three free months goes away. You have to be... In the club before we announce or before it goes live in order to get the free months. So sign up now. Uh, Go to www.intimatecovenant.com slash members. Um, That'll get you a a registration form. Sign up. We'll get you on the list for three free months. Right. And you can come join the growing number of couples that have already signed up. Yes, they're already a a good number um, already signed up. So we're excited to meet everyone and interact with everyone in this uh, community online. One of the perks of being a member of Covenant Club is that you will have access to monthly live interactive webinars. That's right. You'll get to hang out with us. Every month, live, interactive, uh, a chance for you to ask questions, a chance for you to engage uh, in the conversation. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we're really looking forward to that. Uh, So sign up now because our first scheduled webinar is going to be Thursday evening, February 3rd. That's right. You definitely want to be a part of that. So come join Come join all the cool kids at Covenant Club. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Okay, so enough about us. That's right. Enough about the announcement phase is done. Yes, this concludes the announcement. (laughs) Let's move into our topic for today. So if you grew up in the same kind of religious communities that I did, and maybe Jen did, at some point you probably heard a Bible class discussion about 1 Corinthians 7, specifically the first part of that chapter. Mm -hmm. One point that is often made in these discussions, and perhaps not coincidentally by the male preacher or teacher, was that this passage obligates a spouse to regularly and frequently have sex. Or that a spouse because of what is stated in 1 Corinthians 7, or a spouse uh, is obligated to have sex whenever the other spouse desires it. Yes. So we're going to tackle that today. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Why don't we read it? Maybe that's a good place to start. Let's start with the text, and then we can maybe move on from there. So uh, 1 Corinthians 7, if if you... um, are following along. I just feel compelled to say that. <laughs> you feel like a preacher now? Well done, honey. If you want to follow along, we'll be reading the first five verses. <laughs> now concerning the matters about which you wrote, 
it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by an agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That, of course, is from the ESV, uh, who, which uses interesting phrases like conjugal rights. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we don't use that phrase often That's in not our something life. we talk about. Uh, but um, so that's the, this controversial set of verses that, um, that Paul wrote so many, many years ago. And just sort of in summary, let, let's just kind of restate what Paul is saying here just for the sake of clarity um, mm-hmm. in case these are passages that maybe you're not familiar with. So in short, Paul is commenting to these Corinthians, that is Christians or a congregation um, of people that live in the city of Corinth. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what Corinthians means, right? So in short, Paul is commenting to these Corinthians uh, on a statement which this original audience had made in a previous letter. So they wrote to him, he's writing them back. Mm-hmm. And so he states that the marriage relationship is a protection from the temptation of sexual immorality. And therefore, he says, uh, each spouse should be willing to fulfill the sexual needs of the other. Uh, The sexual relationship, he says, should be continuous. And the sexual relationship should only be interrupted by mutual agreement. Uh, And he goes on to add that the interruption in the sexual relationship, if that occurs, should only be for prayer and for fasting. So you just made that sound very easy to understand. However, a lot of questions arise from this passage, right? Yes. Questions like, am I obligated to have sex with my spouse under any circumstances? Hmm. Or... Does this passage compel my spouse to have sex with me when I want it and when I or when I feel like I'm being deprived? Other questions may be like, does this passage authorize my spouse to demand sex from me, even if I'm not in the mood or I have a headache or I'm in pain or illness or experiencing my period or postpartum, etc.? Question like, is it okay to have seasons in our marriage where we don't have sex? And what should that look like? And frankly, can I say no? Right. Is there a, is it appropriate for me to say no based on this passage? And um, I I think I, I get where these questions are coming from. These are the kinds of questions that couples fight about all the time. These are the kinds of questions where this passage is brought up to try to answer. Yes, maybe appropriately so. But I think what I what I want to do in this episode is let's talk about what this passage says. But maybe even just as important, we also need to talk about what this passage does not say. Correct. And maybe try to bring some clarity to that and hopefully 
more, most importantly, start a conversation with you and your spouse and your community about what this passage does and does not say. Right, because I think these questions that arise from this passage come from a, a lack of proper understanding about this passage, but also just not having a good place that we can ask, what does that actually look like? Yeah, that's exactly and right. And that's, I hope, what, what we're able to answer so, today. So let's look at the the big point. The, the big message in this group of scriptures is that uh, my attitude must be to offer my body to my spouse. In fact, view my body to the extent that my body does not belong to me, but my body and my sexuality belongs to my spouse. And it is for my spouse. Mm -hmm. My body and my sexuality is for my spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that also means, though, and that what we should be clear is that the point of this passage is not that I should be able to take my spouse's body for myself. And I think that's the, the most important distinction that, that probably needs to be made about this passage. This passage is about is instructing me individually to give my body to my spouse. It is not necessarily, it is not at all permission to take my spouse's body for myself. Uh, and I hope that that distinction is clear. But that distinction makes all the difference, I think, in how we interpret yeah. this um, this passage. Right. It's about a willingness to give my whole self. How can I serve my spouse with my body and with my sexuality? Right. And I mean, the point is, what am I giving? Not what is my spouse obligated to give me. Yes, right, right. And I think, again, the point is that even in times where there is a break in your sexual, in your sex, a break in the regularity of your sex, there still needs to be desire and consent and conversation and emotional and spiritual intimacy. That's, those are things that must be interwoven into your relationship all the way through whether or not you're actually having sexual relations or not, um, it, it still uh, uh, must be, all of those things must be a part of your, um, a part of your relationship. And, and we'll certainly dive more deeply into that, right. um, I, I think, as demonstrated by this passage. I think, Matt, when, when we were um, first considering putting together this podcast and as we were studying and rereading this passage, making sure that we were paying careful attention to what God's words say. Um, One of the things that jumped out at me, I just love it when you read a scripture you've read a thousand (laughs) times and then something new jumps out. It happens all the time. But what I really caught on was the fact that Paul first addresses the wife's sexual needs. Yeah, isn't that interesting? He, He first says that... um The husband should give to his wife... Her conjugal rights. Interesting. So interesting that he I don't starts know that, there. Right. Historically, this passage hasn't been about husbands. You better make sure you're meeting her sexual needs, yes. right? Uh, historically, this passage is weaponized against women. Yes. And, and that's, I think, where so much of the damage has occurred and how this passage has been misused against women. But it's just fascinating to me that Paul is starting first with the wife's 
sexual needs. And, and that's just further proof that sex is not just for men. God yeah. never intended for sex to be just about women, yeah. about men. And in fact, this passage is saying, husbands, your wife has sexual needs. Yes, that, that is a necessary inference from yeah. this passage is that wives do have sexual needs. Right. That's why Paul instructs husbands to attend to those needs. Right. But ironically, this passage that men use to pressure women is the passage that instructs men to meet their wives' sexual needs first. So husbands, before you go throwing around 1 Corinthians 7, take a look in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, some of part of meeting your wife's sexual needs is understanding what her needs are for frequency, mm-hmm. which might be less than what your needs are, or her needs in variety and the, the different ways and means and methods that you might use um, to make sure that she has her needs met, both her physical needs of pleasure, but also her emotional needs, her spiritual needs, all surrounding that sexual relationship. Yes, because again, it's always all tied together. Yes. And it's always on me to make sure that I am meeting my spouse's needs. That's Mm -hmm. my only consideration in this passage. Mm -hmm. Not what I can take, but what can I give? Right. So let's, let's back up a minute and define a term that we're probably going to use, um, a number of times in the rest of this episode, and that is the term obligation sex. Yes. What is obligation sex? And what does that mean and what does that look like? Right. I I think obligation sex, and it implies it in that name, is that this is sex that is happening under pressure. Yes. There is is pressure from one spouse to the other. And that pressure could be Emotional, spiritual, even physical. Yeah. Pressure. What, what is like? What is what is emotional pressure look like? I mean, th- that can look like a number of things. That could look like anger, mm-hmm. but that could also look like coldness and withdrawing and pouting. Mm-hmm. That that kind of pressure to try to um, pre- to obligate your spouse into having sex with you. That's what that looks like. Spiritual pressure might look like misusing passages like this very one to pressure a spouse into having sex with you, uh, to compel them uh, under some sense of obligation to try to have sex with you. That's what spiritual pressure might look like. And obviously physical pressure, that might look like a number of things, but the worst manifestation of this might be actually physically forcing your spouse to have sex. Mm. Let me just be clear. There is such a thing as marital rape. Yes. It's never appropriate to to demand or compel or obligate or force your spouse to have sex. Right. I mean, why would you even want to demand this? That's a a question I, I cannot wrap my mind around. Why would you even want to demand sex with someone who doesn't want to have sex with you? Right. I mean, is that really the kind of sex you want? (laughs) Right. Is that the kind of relationship that you actually want? I I mean, do you think that the kind of pressure it takes to wear someone down to get them to finally be a body in your bed, that that's going to somehow magically turn them into someone who is just hot and bothered and totally turned yeah. on? Like, I mean, this I, doesn't I, happen, no, right? Uh, right. I, I mean, I, I hope your goal is to want to be wanted, ultimately. Yes. 
Right. And, and using pressure of any kind, emotionally, spiritually, or physically, is just not going to do that. But, but I mean, the other question, why do we demand this, but also why do we offer this? Because yeah. there are, the, the flip side of this is the spouses that, you know... That finally give in. Finally give in, that are offering less than the fullness of themselves. Yeah. Um, They're offering less than complete connection. Right. They're, they're, they're willing to be just a, a lifeless body, essentially, or uh, willing to at least play the part of a lover, um, even though all that they are feeling is a sense of pressure and obligation. Right. So for, so I think from the outset, we just want to state that if either of you is settling for obligation sex, either by being the one who demands it or the one who is offering it, you need to know and confront the fact that there's something amiss in your relationship. Yeah. This is not healthy. Something's not right there. And and you need to, the first step to fixing that is acknowledging it. Yep, yep. I mean, again, we, we want to make it crystal clear that this passage is not promoting obligation sex. It's right. not permission to force your spouse to have sex with you. It's never okay for one spouse to force the other to have sex right. or to force another to have sex in a way that's painful, mm-hmm. it, whether that's physical pain, spiritual pain, or emotional pain. It's never okay. And, and if that's what's playing out in your marriage, get help. Yeah. Find somebody to help you. Good. That might be an elder. That might be a brother or a sister. That might be the police. Right. But get help. Yes. Get help. Um, again, the, the weaponization of this passage does not at all consider the behavior of the spouse who is demanding sex. And that's what is just so um, astounding to me is that when when one spouse uses this passage to f- try to force the other to have sex, it, it's not even accounting for the, the fact that this demanding spouse is being just completely unjust and completely unrighteous in in their behavior. I mean, the question this demanding spouse needs to ask himself or herself, but himself, generally speaking, is, is, is this husband providing for his wife's sexual needs by tending to her emotional and spiritual well-being? Right. I mean, is he truly seeking connection or just a release? Right. And if it's the latter then he's sinning against her by objectifying her body and idolizing his own sexual desire. He's way out of line. He's trying to use scripture, ironically, he's trying to use scripture to justify his unchristlike attitude. Right. Because if a hel- husband has failed to live up to the standard of Christ, husbandly sacrificial love that's described in Ephesians 5, all those beautiful verbs in Ephesians 5, and, and then also in 1 Peter 3, then frankly, he has no right to demand anything from his spouse. And even then, if, if he's living in a Christ-like way, he's not going to be motivated to demand anything from his spouse. But I mean, just to, to state this simply and, and maybe succinctly, his headship as a husband and his horniness do not give him any authority to demand anything from his spouse. That's just simply not Christ-like. If you are demanding something from your spouse, you don't understand Christ. You don't understand 
true sacrificial love. Again, the only tool that a man has to persuade his wife is his self-sacrificial love. That's the only tool. There's no scripture that will get you what you want from your spouse in a way that is demanding and demeaning to her. Right. I mean, I think what we're saying, how to sum it up in a nutshell, is that 1 Corinthians 7 is not scriptural authority for a spouse to demand a certain degree of frequency or to demand a specific sexual act. I hope we've been clear about that. I think so. I think so. so. we got to take a break because Matt's blood pressure needs to come down just a little (laughs) bit. And when we come back from the break, we want to answer the question, is there a time when it's okay to abstain from sex in our marriages? After the break. Hey, Matt. We have an exciting announcement to make. That's right. We want to announce the newest and biggest project for Intimate Covenant to date. As you know, we've been offering group Bible studies, weekend seminars, an annual marriage retreat, and of course, this weekly podcast. But the greatest benefit of what we do is bringing people together in community to continue the conversation about godly marriage and holy sexuality. So we're launching Covenant Club. Covenant Club is our new online community for covenant-focused married couples. We will offer online community discussion forums, including a special wives-only section. These forums will be a space to ask sensitive questions, share ideas and recommendations, and offer encouragement to other married couples. We'll also be offering monthly group coaching sessions through live interactive webinars. We'll use these times to cover special topics and Q&A sessions. Through the Covenant Club, subscription members will also have exclusive access to printed audio and video resources. Covenant Club has been a goal for us for a long time, and we have lots of big plans as we grow this special community. We're just so excited to start making this vision a reality. We really want you to be a part of this community, and you can help make this happen in one of two ways. First, Go to our website, intimatecovenant.com slash members. Don't worry, it's in the show notes. Click the button to sign up for the Covenant Club pre-launch. By signing up now, you'll get access to all of the Covenant Club features for the first three months after we launch in January of 2022. The other way that you can help is to donate to this ambitious project. The startup costs for this endeavor will be significant but you can help us bring this community together in a really special way and reach so many more marriages with your generous donations. Any contribution will make a difference. Again, go to the website, intimatecovenant.com members and scroll down to the bottom of the page to click the donate button. Thanks for your support. We can't wait to see you and interact with you in this exciting new community. For covenant lovers. Okay, so I think we've established clearly and maybe not succinctly with passion. With passion, that First Corinthians seven is not a weapon. Right. It's not authority to demand sex from your spouse whenever you want it, but. 
that passage also has an interesting phrase in it that says, do not deprive one another. Right. Does do not deprive mean that I can never say no? Right. The last uh, verse five, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So I've certainly heard it said that because the, the passage says do not deprive, that means I can never refuse a sexual advance from my spouse because that would be depriving them. Right. Well, let me just state it in a way that maybe is clear enough for all of us to understand. If I ask my child to abstain from a Snickers bar right before dinner, <laughs> have I deprived them of food? <laughs> It seems like a harsh statement to say you've deprived them of food. Have I deprived? What does deprive you said, mean? Don't have a Snickers bar before your meal. Yes, D- deprive suggests that there is some overwhelming, um, ongoing, significant loss or right. starvation. I mean, when I think of depriving someone of something, I'm thinking that they are in desperate need. Right. It's 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 a much bigger deal than just. Save the Snickers bar for later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So I think where you're getting at with this is that skipping a week or two or maybe even more of a sexual relationship is not deprivation. Right. Like, let's just make sure that we have our terms defined clearly. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So I think that, you know, this probably applies to times like... Um, when a wife is on her period mm-hmm. or pregnancy or postpartum right. or if there's illness, et cetera. And just we won't go into a lot of detail about those things exactly because we've already promised some episodes. That's to right. Episodes coming soon about dealing with our sexual relationship during those times of life. Right. Periods, pregnancy, et cetera. But I, I will say that there are um, there are ways for us to accommodate those kinds of situations. But even so, even if sex is off the table, mm-hmm. you're not being deprived if it's for a short period of time, a relatively short period of time, or if it is um, for those kinds of circumstances. Right. Those aren't periods of deprivation. Those exactly. are periods of pauses, yes. if you will. <laughs> yes. Th- those are pauses for good for good reason. But... Mm-hmm. You know, to, to the point in 1 Corinthians 7, most, most of us don't take breaks from sex so that we can focus on our spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a shame because I think that's what Paul is pointing at here. He's like, he, he says, you know, if you're going to have a, a sexual fast, then couple that fast with prayer. Mm-hmm. Couple that with devotion, spiritual devotion to God. And, and that perhaps might be appropriate for the two of you to dedicate your attention to some matter that you both need to turn to God about. Right. And I think what he's getting at is there's so much power in our sexual relationship that sometimes fasting from that is a powerful way that we can use to address a, a period that where we both need to turn to God. About yeah, because when that when that sexual desire begins to build and and becomes uh, present in our thought, 
knowing that we're partaking in a sexual fast will remind us then to refocus that time and energy and effort towards some greater spiritual purpose. Right. And so some examples of when that I think would be appropriate would be things like when you are in the midst of healing from porn. Yeah, porn or some sex addiction. Um, Or healing from some kind of trauma that has happened to one or both of you, physical, emotional, sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, This would be appropriate when you're healing from betrayal that has happened within your marriage. I think those are excellent times to consider a sexual fast where the two of you can really um, pointedly devote and your attention to some greater spiritual matter. And in, in these cases, it makes sense to, to take a break sexually uh, so that you can devote yourselves to your relationship and to God. Right. So we want to know, have you listeners ever had a sexual fast? Yeah. And have you ever taken that time to devote to prayer uh, or some other greater purpose. If you have, we definitely want to hear about it. We don't want to hear all the details, of course, but we we want to hear from you. Like, is this something that you guys have done? What was the benefit? What were the circumstances? Whatever, whatever you're willing to share, we'd love to hear about this because we think this is something that uh, more people ought to engage in. It's something that that nobody talks about. Well, right. We've, I mean, like we said, the whole first segment, we've seen all the ways that 1 Corinthians 7 has been misused, but clearly God had a beautiful plan, and, and that's what Paul's trying to talk about. There may be a period in your marriage where you need to part from one another sexually for for a specific reason. What mm-hmm. does that look like? If, we, if, if we would do a better job sharing with one another what that looks like, then maybe that would be easier to understand this passage. Yeah, tell us about it, or better yet... Get on the Covenant Club and let's talk about it in a group of yes. Christian couples who have s- similar experiences where we can encourage one another in that way. Right. So what does it look like then, Matt, when there is a sexual fast? What What are some of the groundwork? I mean, what's Paul telling us? Well, first of all, I think pa- Paul's pretty explicit here. If you're going to do this, there needs to be a conversation about it because he explicitly says that it must be by mutual agreement or by mutual consent, depending on what version you're reading. This is something you both need to talk about and you both need to agree to. This is not something that one spouse says, you know what, this is what we're going to do, and never tells the other spouse. (laughs) Never tells them why, or simply just tells them, this is what we're doing and I don't care what you say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, the reason Paul is explicit in his instructions about this is because, as he states, you are putting your spouse and yourself in grave danger of sexual temptation and sin when you begin to abstain from sex in your marriage. Right. I mean, that's one of the purposes of sex in in the marriage relationship, as Paul explicitly states here and elsewhere. One of the explicit reasons for sex in this relationship is to help prevent sexual temptation. Now, it's not the silver bullet. It's not the only means by which you can prevent um, sexual temptation, but it certainly is part of the point, as he states here. Right. So if if you're having a sexual fast, it must be for the benefit of your marriage. Yes. Not to get back at your spouse, not to exert your power or your manipulation. It's for the benefit of the marriage and the benefit of your spiritual relationship 
to each other and to God himself. And so I think that means that if you are withholding sex for any other reason than prayer and fasting, and by that, you know, spiritual, emotional intimacy, then your marriage is in trouble. Yeah. If, if you're withholding for any other reason, there's something wrong. And you already know that. That's why you're withholding. Right. But to just simply withhold and not make any uh, meaningful um, movement toward trying to heal whatever it is uh, that that's wrong in your relationship. Uh, you're, you're you're doing it the wrong way, right? And so if you're if you're the spouse that finds yourself withholding sex, then you're obligated to get help. I yes. mean, you are obligated to restore that aspect of your relationship, and that's the case anytime there is broken brokenness in your marriage and barriers that have gone up. Yeah, and You if, are always the one obligated to try and restore yeah. that intimacy, but it, especially with sexual intimacy. Yeah, if there is not sexual frequency and regularity and mutual pleasure in your sexual relationship, you, you must, you must find someone to help you. Right. Um, and if you or your spouse is unhappy with any any part of that, you're just you're obligated to talk about it. You can't just withhold and not give any explanation. You can't withhold and just walk away. You, you can't withhold uh, and go crawl in a corner. Right. I mean, First Corinthians seven is teaching us that sexual withholding must be done as an agreement. Yes, it is not a unilateral decision, and and, and the sexual withholding, as as Paul states must be, quote, for a season. Right. You know what's interesting about seasons? Even winter, thankfully, they have a beginning and an end. Right. If you decide that you're going to withhold sex, you need a beginning and an end defined specifically, explicitly when this beginning and end is going to occur. That's what it means to with to abstain for a season. Right, it's, right. Because look, sex in the marriage relationship is not optional. It's not optional. It's part of what defines the sec- the, the marriage relationship. Uh, in in Genesis two, uh, in the very beginning, when God creates marriage, He defines marriage in part by the sexual relationship. He tells He tells us that that uh, a man is to leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and become one flesh. That one flesh there is specifically referring to the sexual relationship. It's what defines marriage. It's what makes this relationship different than being just roommates. Right. Different than being just, uh, you know, partners. Right. And, and, I mean, a a sexual relationship looks different for every couple. That's true. Yes. It it may look different for you than it looks for your neighbors, or it may look different for you in your current stage of life than it looked when you were newlyweds. Yes. But that it there's it still has to exist within your marriage. I mean, frankly, if you can no longer have intercourse due to aging or health problems, you still must pursue a sexual relationship with your with your spouse. Yeah, go back and listen to episode one if you want some right. ideas about how to Re- expand your definition. Redefining sex. Yeah. And I will say, if you have anxiety about sex, if there has been trauma in your life for any reason that you have anxiety about sex, get help. Yeah. Don't just settle 
in that place of anxiety. Yeah, because if you're gatekeeping, if you are if you are limiting sexual activity in your marriage profoundly or significantly as a means of power or as a means of manipulation or simply because you just don't know what to do with your your anxiety about sex you're violating this biblical principle in mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 7 and you are destroying your marriage right there i mean there's just no other way around it if you are withholding sex for reasons other than what's defined here you are destroying your marriage right now, your spouse doesn't have the authority to demand it from you. I think we've made that clear. But you also have an obligation. If Even if you're the one being pressured, you still have an obligation to repair and restore your relationship. Now, the, the other place that th- this passage gets used a lot is in, um, we'll just say men for the sake of conversation, but men who... Um, want to claim that that they need their spouse to have sex with them more frequently because they just can't control their sexual temptation. And let me just make it very clear. You are not solely responsible for your spouse's sexual purity. And that message has gone, has gone too far in the church and elsewhere in culture. Mm-hmm. Somehow it's a woman's obligation. All women are somehow obligated to keep men from lusting. I mean, we, we come up against this and how we talk about how women should and shouldn't dress, yeah. right? And Maybe that's a whole nother podcast that episode. That is definitely a whole nother podcast episode. But yes, it is not my job to rein in your sexuality, keep you in check, because otherwise without me, you're just a raging beast that cannot be controlled. <laughs> come on, guys. Have more respect for yourself. Right. Um, Now, that said, I mean, regular sex with your spouse is a tool for dealing with sexual temptation, but it's not the only tool. It can't be the only tool. I mean, there's no amount of sex with my spouse that can eliminate sexual temptation, right? And and what's, what's interesting about this claim, and people use 1 Corinthians 7 to make this claim that my spouse needs to have sex with me so that I won't sin sexually, it's ridiculous because in the preceding chapter in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is giving explicit instruction to all individuals, whether you're married or not. He's giving instruction to all individuals about abstaining from sexual immorality and how to do so. Right. So, so whether you have a spouse or not, you are still responsible for your own sexual purity. It is not your wife's obligation. It is not your wife's obligation. In fact, he states fundamentally that our bodies, yes, belong to our spouse. But in 1 Corinthians 6, he says explicitly that our bodies belong to the Lord. Yes. So it's important to understand that your spouse cannot keep you from sinning. That's right. You are the only one that can keep you from sinning. Now, your spouse can help you. Sure. Right? I I hope they do. A wife is to be a sustainer beside, a come alongside and help one another is that idea. But ultimately, your sexuality is your responsibility. Yes. And so when a husband is dealing with, like, say, a sex addiction or a porn addiction, and this is when this passage gets thrown out all the time, but I, I, I just can't say this loud enough. The worst advice in that situation is to try to convince his wife that she should just have more sex with him. 
Uh, that advice just makes my skin crawl. Let me just tell you, it's not going to help. No. He has to learn how to see sex and his wife in a new perspective. Having more sex is just going to objectify her and it ignores the relationship aspect, the betrayal aspect of his addiction and his pornography use. Uh, This advice never gets to the, the fundamental aspect of teaching this couple what the true purpose of their sexual relationship is. Connection. Yes. And it building must relationship be, with one another. It must be about connection. So again, let me just restate it. There is no amount of sex with my spouse that can eliminate sexual temptation. So stop using 1 Corinthians 7 to try and teach that. 1 Corinthians 7 is not a tool to treat porn addiction. Right. Just Let's just... State it that way, even. Okay. Okay, we got Matt's blood pressure all worked up again. Right, I better summarize this quickly you before should. we get uh, before I have a heart attack or a stroke. <laughs> all right. To wrap up, First Corinthians seven. It's a controversial passage, but I think it should be made very clear that First Corinthians seven teaches that I am obligated to meet the needs, the sexual needs of my spouse, but. This passage does not give me authority to demand sex from my spouse. In fact, demanding or offering sex out of obligation is not Christ-like and it is unhealthy for your marriage. When there is a sexual fast in your marriage, there needs to be ongoing conversation about it and it needs to be for the betterment of the spiritual and emotional relationship. Now it's time to grab your spouse and your Bible and head to your kitchen table to have the conversation about what part obligation sex may have played in your marriage. How can you confront this in order to have a healthy sex life that motivates you towards mutual submission? Thanks as always for listening, subscribing, rating, and sharing, and for all your support. Until next time, keep striving. And don't settle. Thank you for listening. If you have something to add, we would invite your feedback, questions, and suggestions via our email, podcast at intimatecovenant.com. To submit anonymous questions and feedback, visit our website, intimatecovenant.com backslash podcast. Click on the button, contact the podcast for an anonymous submission form. In addition to this podcast, Intimate Covenant offers group Bible studies, private couples coaching, premarital counseling, weekend seminars, and an annual marriage retreat. We would love to continue the conversation about God's plan for intimate marriage and holy sexuality with you and your friends. If you're interested in bringing us to your church or small group, please contact us, podcast at intimatecovenant.com. May God continue to bless your marriage.